When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is a Christian constitutional conservative. He's a combat veteran and former member of the U.S. Congress. He's the third of four generations of military servicemen in his family. During his 22-year career in the United States Army, Lieutenant Colonel West served in several combat zones and received many honors, including a Bronze Star. Mr. West, thank you, sir, for being here with us on Takeaways. It's a pleasure to be with you, Kurt. Thank you. 22 years in the Army. Wow. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your leadership. Oh. Uh, I, I, I have to ask you, how has your time in the military and coming from a military family shaped your view of this country that you live in? Well, you know, it starts with my father, who served as a corporal in the United States Army in World War II. And if you know a little bit about history, uh, that was a segregated army. And then uh, my older brother served in Vietnam. He was a Marine infantryman. And everyone has a black sheep in the family. And my older brother was that black sheep being a Marine and decided not to be a soldier. But at the age of 15, my dad challenged me to be the first officer in our family. And so I started wearing a uniform back in high school, junior ROTC, at the age of 15, 1970. It's the life that a Christian believes in, and it goes back to Isaiah uh, chapter 6 and verse 8 when Isaiah stood before the host of the Lord, and, they, and the Lord said, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah stepped up and said, Here am I, send me. And I think that is what makes America so great is that in our 246 years of existence, we have always had men and women who have stepped up and said, here am I, send me. And they've been willing to do, as it said in John 15, 13, that there's no greater love hath a man than to lay down his life for another. This independence has been won by people that stepped up and said, here am I, send me. And I'm just honored to have been uh, able to play a small part in that 246-year history. Well, I I'm honored to know you. Alan, as someone who's been on the front lines, what is it that you believed you were defending? Why put yourself out there like that? What is it about America that you felt was worth preserving? Well, it's the last best hope for mankind. That's what Abraham Lincoln talked about. And when you look at the United States of America, there is no other nation in the world that was founded on a very basic premise, and that is that the inalienable rights of the individual life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. They come from a creator God. And that means that the individual in the United States of America is sovereign over the institution of government because our rights come from a sovereign God. And when you read the Declaration of Independence, you see where Thomas Jefferson quoted the laws of nature and nature's God, and that came from John Locke, the Second Treatise of Government and Natural Rights Theory that said that all of our rights, uh, we're endowed to them uh, by our creator God. And he said life, liberty, and property. So what better thing to do than stand on freedom's ramparts and protect a nation that was based upon the sovereignty of the Judeo-Christian God and the sovereignty of the individual. You're reminding us of something that's so important. We've got to never, ever forget this, that our rights don't come from the government. 
In fact, our rights in the United States come from God. That is based on our Judeo-Christian faith. And the only reason that we have a constitution is not so we can find out what our rights are. God's already told us that, but it's to limit the power of the government so that they don't take those rights away. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think it's so important that many people need to go back and read those founding documents. And, and I'm not just talking about teaching civics to our kids in school, but a lot of us old heads need to go back and read the Federalist Papers, read the Declaration, read the Constitution. And one of the things that I'd say to people every Independence Day, sit down in your homes and read the entire Declaration of Independence because you will understand the premise upon which this nation was founded. Mm. And when you read a lot of the grievances that Thomas Jefferson listed against King George and Great Britain, a lot of those grievances are happening today. And when you further read the Constitution, you will understand, as you just said, Kirk, the Constitution is a limiting document on the powers of the federal government. And that's why the Tenth Amendment is so important, because it says all of those powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. And in Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution, there are only 18 enumerated things that are the duties and responsibilities and powers of the, the federal government listed under the legislative branch. So that means everything else comes to the states and to us as the people. Are you sure that, that health care and national education is not one of those powers and responsibilities in the Constitution for the federal government? No, it's not. And, and neither, neither is murdering unborn children one of their, uh, their powers. Alan, you also went on to serve in Congress. Why did you do that? You know, it was very interesting. I came back from Afghanistan and a, a local political uh, operative, a consultant, she challenged me and she said, you know, just because your uh, oath of service uh, in the uniform is coming to an end, that does not mean that your oath to the Constitution comes to an end. And that was a sucker punch, Kurt, uh, because she was basically right. If you take that oath and you believe in that oath to support and defend the Constitution, it does not matter if you're in uniform or out of uniform. And I have always been an advocate for more people that have served this country in uniform, being willing to do as Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address to make the last full measure of devotion, we need to have them in the political realm because they know what it means to put their life on the line for this incredible document that binds us together called the Constitution. You have been on the front lines, you have defended our country, you've, you've, you've been trained to look out and uh, identify the threats and uh, defeat the enemy. You've also done that uh, in Congress as well. What are the things that should be on our radar screen right now? What are the big threats that we should be on the lookout for and what can we do about them? America is in an ideological civil war. I don't think that anyone can debate that. This is not about political parties. It's about understanding the relationship between the individual and the institution of government. And right now, we have two very different philosophies of governance that one philosophy believes that the individual is, you know, their rights, their freedoms, their liberty is sovereignty and supreme. Others believe that is the government. Uh, Abraham Lincoln talked about how the definition of liberty can be perverted by some people to believe that it is not what a person can do with themselves and the product of their own labor, but it's about what others can do with that person and the product of someone else's labor. And that's where we're getting to. And so 
When you think about the, the encroachment, the, the economic enslavement, when you think about this collectivization of America, when you look at all the things that we're starting to have to deal with, the secular humanism, the war on our children, uh, that's very disconcerting for me right now. And we have seen that in other places, especially in the 21st and the 20th century of this cultural Marxism, socialism, communism, statism. But yet that's what we have and that's what we're facing today in America, this progressive socialism that wants to elevate the government over the individual. And this is something that we have to come to realize and we have to make a stand. And it's so important for the church to do that, to recognize this calling. It's obvious that you're a man of, of deep faith. Have you found that that faith has helped or hurt your military career or your time in military service and your time serving in Congress? Oh, it has been an incredible asset because, you know, when I, one of my favorite verses is Philippians 4 and 13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. But my number one verse is uh, Joshua chapter 1 and 9, where God tells Joshua to be strong and of good courage, for the Lord thy God shall never leave you nor forsake you. So when you're a command of 600 troops in a combat zone, that's a heavy responsibility because every decision that you're making is a decision that is based, it will have a ramification on them living or their dying. Dying. And so you have to be able to go to someone that is greater than you, and that's where your faith is so important, to be able to persevere and go through trials and tribulations, as it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, because those tough times builds perseverance, and perseverance builds character, and character builds hope. And that's a hope that's not rooted in man, but in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So faith has been so important, and that's why I think it's really important that parents, once again, make sure they're training up their children in the way that they should mm. go, so that when they're Oh, they yes. shall not depart from it. That's Proverbs 22, 6. Alan, the gospel is the good news that God has sent us a savior to liberate us from sin and death and guilt and shame and, 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 and make us new creations. What do you think would happen if the entire nation grabbed a hold of that truth? I mean, what could the future of America look like if we actually recaptured and revived that gospel good news in our churches, in our families, and in our government. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, going back to Joshua chapter 1, when God told Joshua, this book of the law, you shall not turn from it from the right or to the left. You shall meditate upon it day and night, and therefore you will have success and prosperity wherever you go. And I think that that's what we need to have. Spiritual faith brings about incredible courage, and in this incredible courage, we have the belief that there's nothing that we cannot accomplish and nothing that we can do together and achieve. And that is what has made America the beacon in just 240. 46 short years. No other nation has been able to do and pull together what we have done in America. And if you go back and read Alexis de Tocqueville's book, Democracy in America, he talked about the importance of faith in America, which was the reason why this incredible experiment in self-governance and uh, representative democracy was, again, even in that time period, the uh, early 18, the 18th century, was a beacon of liberty and freedom for the rest of the world. Alan, what do you think it should look like for the average American person to defend our liberties. Um, what, what, would, what does that look like today? Not everybody's gonna be in Congress, not everybody is gonna serve in the military, but what can and should we be doing? Well, again, uh, it goes back to my favorite uh, person in the Bible, and that's my, my buddy Joshua, who was just an old stone cutter, but God knew that he needed to have a strong person to bring the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And in uh, chapter 24, verse 15, he says, Choose for yourselves today whom you shall serve. 
being the gods of the Amorites or the gods from across the river, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it starts in our homes. And I think it's so important, again, that we start to have these conversations and we make sure that we are engaged with our families and, and with our children and we continue to pray over them. My grandson just recently turned uh, one year of age and we want to make sure that he is raised in the right way because that's how we continue to make sure that we can step up, each and every one of us, in our own lane and be able to defend this incredible country and this incredible, the, the incredible principles and values upon which it was uh, founded. Alan, I know that there are millions who are with you, millions who feel like we do, that we are living in uh, a very challenging time, but it is worth defending. It's, this freedom is worth fighting for. This, this, this faith and the character that God wants us to have is worth living and dying for. But, but how do we find the strength to stand in the midst of what seem like overwhelming odds against us? Well, that's why we have to come together, and that's why we need churches. You know, it goes back to the old Black Robe Regiment where you had those pastors that stood up and understood that, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, and that is the, the beginning of, of liberty. And so we have got to have churches that stand up and are strong, and we have got to start getting Christians involved in local-level elections. You know, nobody ever thought the school boards were this important of an elected position, but now we understand how important those positions are. So we need to have people running for school board, running for city council, and we need to have pastors that are not afraid, that aren't afraid of speaking the truth, and they can't be out there with false doctrines and tickling people's ears and trying to conform to society. Alan, I want to continue our conversation. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Alan about what makes America so unique and so special. So don't go away. Hey, Alan, thanks so much for staying with us. By the way, how are the mosquitoes out there in the woods? Well, you know, I have some off repellent that I sprayed on before I came. Good, you know, good, got, me too. Got in this position, so I'm good to go. Yeah. That's good. I got the smoke also as, as a second layer of protection, so I'm, I'm good out here. There you go. Alan, I know that you speak... And you got the American flag. And I do. That's right. Alan, I know that you speak on a lot of college campuses to young people. When you have a chance to do that, what do you uh, select as the distinctives of America that you want to share with young people? I want you to think about this, Kurt. You're talking with someone that in 1961 was born in a blacks-only hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And I grew up in the same neighborhood that produced Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm sitting here having a conversation on national television with a guy that I used to watch on TV. That's the greatness of America that says no matter where you're born, no matter where you come from, it's the equality of opportunity that allows you to become a victor. And that's what I try to teach our young people. And it's what I try to you know, impart to my two daughters is that every single day you have to fight to be a victor and not allow yourself to become a victim. And that's the message that I want to send to young people on these college and university campuses because there's this message of victimization. There's this message of the, uh, the culture of the participation trophy that says you don't have to get out there and work hard, that someone is going to be there to give you something if you just kind of show up. And that's not what made America what it is today, and that's not the values that my parents inculcated into me. And the other thing I think is so important, we have got to get back to having strong uh, traditional nuclear families in the United States of America that raise up our children in the right way. Alan, someone once pointed out to me 
that racism is not something that is unique to any one country, and slavery is not something that was invented in America. This is something that goes way back to the beginning of time, and it's rooted in the human heart, and that America's challenges are universal. You know, this country went to a war. It fought against itself in order to correct that. And we still have people that want to take us back because what they're looking at is creating that victim mentality. When I hear folks talk about how, you know, someone like myself today should get reparations, for what? The fear that I have is that there are people that are talking about the equality of outcomes. There are people that are talking about how they can determine and they can decide your station and what you can be and what you can achieve. And that's not what America is. That's not why so many people have fought and died for this country. That's why so many people have come to this country, because they don't want someone else to make the decisions about their life. And the most important decisions that you can make about your life is found in Romans chapter 10 about giving your life over to the Lord, because that's where you have true spiritual liberty and freedom. What do you say to critics who say, you know, America was just founded by a bunch of rich white men taking advantage of other people uh, of, of color, and America is no better than any other country? You know, the black population here in America w would be one of the richest uh, populations if you were to take us and put us over into Africa or anywhere else. Uh, and so I guess there were rich Egyptian people, there were rich uh, Greeks, there were rich everything else. And, and so when you look at America, you got to think about it. How is it that we have had in 246 years, or even if you just go back since the end of the Civil War, this incredible growth within a community? such as the black community and the, the, the colleges and universities. You know, my ideological mentor, the guy that I see as a hero is Booker T. Washington. And if you have never read his autobiography, Up From Slavery, I would recommend that to you. He was a guy born into slavery. And when he became free, the first thing he wanted was an education. And he was such an incredible young man that he was chosen out of everyone else to create the first institution of higher learning for recently freed slaves in the South. Mm. It became known as Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute. Today, that's Tuskegee University. Madam C.J. Walker, the first black female millionaire, it wasn't Oprah Winfrey, but if we continue to allow people to take us back and demonize and denigrate and castigate this country as something that it has worked so hard to overcome, then we will never understand the true blessings of liberty that we have here. Alan, we've heard the term American exceptionalism, and some people would look at that and say, man, that, that's, that's a really prideful statement. What is American exceptionalism rightly understood? I think American exceptionalism rightly understood is the embracing of the philosophy that you can truly, as the United States Army used to say, be all that you can be, that no one can hold you back. And one of the reasons why I love the uh, NCAA college basketball tournament, you know, 64, 68 exceptional basketball programs go into that tournament, but only one comes out as the champion. And I think that there is, you know, nothing wrong with us saying that, okay, there is a whole bunch of other countries out there, but we're the country that comes out on top being a champion. And guess what? There are more people that are seeking to come into the shores of this great nation than are people leaving the, this great nation to go to other nations. And I think that proves what American exceptionalism is. Well said. How do we, in our everyday conversations, acknowledge the fact that, that uh, we have made some huge mistakes in this country and that we have troubled times in our past so that we don't sound like we're trying to whitewash the past or we're trying to uh, uh, skip over that stuff? 
how do we have those conversations where we can be honest about the past and at the same time express the uniquenesses of our country? Well, it's, as George Santayana, the Spanish political philosopher, said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So I think it is important that we go back and we study and understand our history, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the ugly. But that is all there to make sure that we become that more perfect union, as it says in the Constitution. So I believe that it's important that we not revise history, that we not eliminate or erase history, is that we study that history and we look at how we can go forward. Because if you don't know from whence you came, you don't know where you are, and therefore someone else is going to dictate where you're headed. And that is what we see happening here in the United States of America when we are not teaching our founding documents. We're not teaching our history. You know, there are so many people that don't understand the three branches of government. There are people that don't understand uh, what it means by separation of powers and co-equal branches of government. There are people that don't understand the basic fundamentals. And if we don't teach and understand the basic fundamentals in our history, then people are going to come along and they're going to remake us and reshape us or fundamentally transform us into something that we were never intended to be. So many of us have never heard that before. You know, growing up, I, I didn't grow up reading the Declaration of Independence. Um, uh, we never really talked about voting. I didn't even really believe or have faith in God. Uh, but I understand now that it's so important. I think that's probably because I have children and I understand that history matters. And, 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 and as I read my Bible and I, and I learn from guys like you, I figure out that, wow, our founding fathers were actually brilliant and uh, the whole reason that they separated the powers of government was because the Bible said that, uh, well, they, in the Old Testament, we, we learned that God, they said, yep. is our lawgiver, he's our judge, and he's our king. And so there you have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branches, but only God has the character to be able to embody all three of those offices without abusing people. And they said, well, wait a minute, the, the, the sinful nature of man and the wickedness of his heart will prevent him from using them correctly. So we gotta split them up and let's give these guys one power, these guys the other power, and these guys the other power, and they serve as checks and balances against tyranny. That all comes from their, their faith and their understanding of the Bible. These, these guys were geniuses and we as citizens need to understand why they did things the way that they did. You're absolutely right, and that's why you know I tell people that uh, this is your American Express credit card that you should never leave home without. And this is the Declaration of Independence in the United States Constitution. And I would just hope that we get to the day that more people are carrying that around with them wherever they go, and they're referring back to that, and they are understanding that. Let me give you a great example here in the state of Texas. We will always have 150 members of our Texas State House. Why? Because there's 150 Psalms. We will always have 31 state senators in the state of Texas. Why? Because there are 31 Proverbs. That's how so many of our founding fathers were inspired by the Word of God. And you, what you talked about with the three branches of government, that comes straight out of Isaiah. So we need to understand that relationship. So just the same as God told Joshua not to turn away from his word, his book, that law, we need to also never turn away from our law, which is the rule of law, and that's our Constitution. Alan, what is your prayer for America right now? I mean, you know, we're, 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 uh, we've, we've been alive for quite a few decades. We've seen things change. Uh, what do we need to be praying for specifically as a country, as families? Well, I think it goes back to Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, and, and God says my people, so it starts with us as the body of Christ, first and foremost, will humble ourselves and we will lift this nation up before him and we will, you know, turn away from our evil ways and the sinful nature. He will hear 
from there, and he will bless and restore our land. So I am praying for the restoration of our constitutional republic, an awakening, and I see that happening. But I want to see the body of Christ become stronger, and I especially want to see our pastors once again becoming the Black Robe Regiment. I want to see the men of God standing up mm. and being strong. I want to see the women of God becoming like Esther for times such as this. And so I think that's where it starts in our churches. And, and I want to thank you for everything that you're doing to continue to light that fire. Alan, we so appreciate your sacrifices and your service to our country, as well as these amazing insights into today's conversation. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.